KCSB FM Santa Barbara 91.9. This is Inside Isla Vista. I'm Jennifer Yoshikoshi with KCSB News. This is the show that shares what's happening in and around Isla Vista and the UC Santa Barbara community. Although this month is coming to an end, it's still May, which means it's also Mental Health Awareness Month. On tonight's show, we hear from Dr. Tori Honiger, the Clinical Director of UCSB's Counseling and Psychological Services, also known as CAPS. I asked students around UCSB if they had any questions within the realm of mental health and CAPS, and throughout the show, you'll hear about topics such as how to deal with burnout, imposter syndrome, and why there continues to be a stigma around seeking therapy. Dr. Honiger joined me in a conversation to answer these questions that UCSB students and Isla Vista residents had. Here is an introduction to Dr. Tori Honiger. I'm Dr. Tori Honiger. I'm the clinical director and I'm a psychologist. I've been a clinical psychologist on campus since 2008. Uh, And basically I'm a psychologist that sees students, but my main job is to be a supportive person to all the other psychologists who see students. And I'm one of the main consultants when there's something difficult going on just to make sure that all the students get uh, the best possible treatment. And whoever they get as their therapist, they're not necessarily stuck with. You would talk to someone like me or Dr. Osimo. We call her Dr. Awesome. And Dr. Awesome or myself help you get to a therapist that's maybe a better fit. So as clinical director, I like my job because I get to meet a lot of students and have brief contact and, and help them in some pretty key ways to get where they need to go on their mental health journey. Well, it's nice to hear that you really enjoy your job and meeting the students that attend UCSB. To start off, our first question is from Ian, who is a third year here at UCSB. His question is very general to CAPS, but what kind of mental health services does CAPS offer? We offer some some pretty cool stuff. I'll just kind of run through it. I think the most amazing thing that we offer, and a lot of people don't know this because they think, oh, it takes forever to get into CAPS. But it actually, like, let's say you, Jennifer, wanted to go take advantage of CAPS services. It would start with a phone call. It's 3.30 in the afternoon. So our, our daily appointments for stuff that's just coming up have, have pretty much run out. Although if you were really worried about a friend and you brought him into our lobby, they would get seen this afternoon. But assuming it was you and you just wanted to get some counseling support on something that's going on in your life, if you called up right now, uh, Martha or Ari or Raul would answer the phone and they would say, oh, let's schedule you for a brief assessment. We're kind of wrapping up for today, but when are you free tomorrow? And depending on your availability, you'd be fit in as soon as tomorrow morning at nine or 10 o'clock. And it's really that easy. On a really busy day, I mean, we, we might bump you to the next day or we'd ask you, is it a crisis? And that brief assessment, what that is, is you meet a therapist like myself and we would ask you a bunch of questions about what's going on. And in 10 to 30 minutes, we would help you figure out a, a mental health game plan. We would help you figure out uh, a strategy for dealing with what's going on. And sometimes we refer to other departments or tell you to go to academic advising or that you should go to student health and check out options with your medical provider for medication. Or So we make all kinds of recommendations. When it comes to therapeutic services, there's stuff that we offer, and I think that's what their question's about. 
And then there's stuff that's available in the community. Now, when people come in and they have insurance and they want weekly longer term therapy, we're very happy to refer them to a community provider or, or to one of the online therapy options, which oftentimes don't even include a copayment. So it's essentially free therapy. And that can be really an, an amazing gift to give yourself. But assuming you want on-campus services, we've got plenty to offer. So after that initial brief assessment that would get you connected with any number of different things outside of CAPS or within CAPS, the CAPS options look basically like this. We have mental health peers that do psychoeducational stuff. They have school anxiety program called SAP, and then they have massage chairs. So uh, please take advantage of those things. But for clinical services, we offer something called single session. It's a single targeted therapy one time where for a full hour, you're really focused in a solution focused manner on some goal that you have uh, to get through. And it could be as specific as, do I stay in my relationship or not? I'm really stressed out about, I don't know if I should stay with this person or not. What do I do? Or it could be um, some other mental health issue, but it tends to be goal focused. Uh, for folks that have maybe some more ongoing problems or focus and concentration issues, and you want some brief therapy to, to focus on that, we definitely offer that. So you would go into your brief assessment and you would say what you're needing and wanting, and they would set you up with a therapist. So we are doing Zoom appointments, primarily telemental health, but we do have in-person appointments that are available. And so that's for individual therapy. And then, so we have single session, we have individual therapy, and then we have three different kinds of group therapy. We have group therapy that's just psychoed and more like a classroom, and you just go there and learn things. And that's all on our website. We have what's called affinity groups, and affinity groups are if you identify as a specific gender or a specific, or it might be along the lines of sexual orientation. We have groups that follow different affinity areas. Graduate students, for example, there's an affinity group there. And so these different affinity groups are on our website. And then we have our, our more general process-focused psychotherapy groups, whether you're dealing with trauma or you're a graduate student, which arguably graduate school is somewhat traumatic. So we have different psychotherapy groups for these different categories, and that's all on our website. You can just go through the brief assessment and be just, hey, I don't know what I want, and let me think about it. So no pressure. Lots of options, no pressure. Yeah, well, thank you so much for explaining how people can get services at CAPS and all the different variety of things that you guys offer. A lot of students at UCSB have been struggling with getting appointments, and that's something that CAPS is sometimes known as within the undergraduate population. And so uh, Nima, who is a third year here, asked, how can we get in contact with CAPS as quickly as possible, as most wait times for an appointment are much longer than ideal? You know, I'll be honest, you know, and I'm the clinical director. I've been here for a long time and I've redone our, our system several times. And so if you want to blame someone, I'm the person to blame. <laughs> but that being said, right now, our wait time for that initial assessment is really more dependent on your schedule than ours. We generally speaking have available, availability every day and plenty of it. And so for that initial brief assessment, the wait time is really minimal, but that old, we have to wait a long time for an intake that that rumor continues to follow our department around. Now, once you've had that 15 to 30 minute 
initial intake. Okay, well, that's when the waiting really starts for us. If you have a real specific request, it might mean that you got to wait a month or more. Especially we have folks that come in and it's okay to request what you want. We do get a lot of Latinx identified students that prefer a female therapist. And I'll just keep, this is a very real example. And, but we have, and we have several therapists that identify as such, but you might be waiting a little bit longer rather than if you say, oh, I'll, I'll work with anyone or I prefer a female therapist. And so the wait times are just longer, the more specific you are. We are booking out, especially for non-urgent issues. We are booking out a few weeks. That's true. If you go to the community, the wait is anywhere from two to four months. So we're definitely shorter than the community. We used to be booked way out like years ago. And that's some of the rumor, like you'd call up and you'd schedule an intake, which is a full hour long thing. And you'd have to schedule weeks out and we haven't even met you yet. We don't know how urgent it is. And so it was harder to get in in the past, but we've set up, the team here has set up a system with me that we can really get people in right away and figure out how urgent it is and what can we do in the meantime. So we'll get you a bridge session on the way to the other one. And so you've had this time now, and we're going to work on some skills for a moment real quick before you go, get you a bridge session, and then you can go to your preferred clinician in five weeks time. And so that it's not perfect. Ideally, I'd be able to match you up with a clinician next week, and you can really start working on what's going on. But the reality of getting good mental health care is that generally speaking, you got to wait for it. And in the community right now, locally, folks are waiting a couple months. And so oftentimes what we do is we start students, they get some brief therapy from us. And all the while they're working on that transition for a long-term therapist in the community. And after meeting one of our clinicians, it can be kind of hard to go to the, you know, the community because we all work on campus here. We all know you students. We love working here. And so that can feel really good when you're a student wanting therapy. And sometimes it's harder to go to the community. But for folks that really want that long-term therapeutic relationship, I want you to give yourselves that gift. But that gift also means little extra effort. And it's not necessarily readily available on campus because there are so many students um, that need us. And I really encourage people to seek help sooner rather than later. Hope that helps with the waiting question. Yeah, I think you explained it really well. And you gave a lot of insight as to why it's known to take a while to get an appointment with CAPS. And it seems like it's an issue in not only campus resources, but also in community resources. And so moving away from just general CAPS information, Lauren Kim, she's a second year here. She asks about imposter syndrome and depression. So her question is, how does CAPS see mental health and its correlation to depression and imposter syndrome in college students? And what are some tips on how to grow and live through it? Great question. Really, really an insightful one. And whether you're looking at a specific major or um, just trying to find a social group that you feel like you fit with in here in, in the UCSB community, or if you're looking at graduate programs and imposter syndrome is very real and where it really connects with mental health issues is, you know, folks that have ongoing depression, folks that have ongoing anxiety and especially ongoing social anxiety, we all have patterns of thinking. Everybody has these patterns of thinking, and that informs us in how we behave 
And so we have behave, behavior patterns in our day-to-day -day lives. And with the idea of imposter syndrome, that's a, a thought pattern. And it's, it's a thought pattern that's composed of, I'm not good enough, or I don't know enough, or I don't have the right background, or I don't have the right clothes, or I don't have the right look, or I, my skin's not the right color. I'm not the right gender. I'm not very good at this thing that I'm trying to do. But those are all cognitions, right? They're thoughts that you tell yourself. And the anxiety or depression overlap is that, you know, they're negative and self-deprecating uh, towards you. And imposter syndrome is oftentimes some of that negative thoughts that comes up in a very specific context. So if I'm struggling in my econ major, I might feel like I have imposter syndrome, even though I might actually one day become a really great economist, but I'm struggling in some classes. I transferred in, I'm a transfer student. Um, I don't know some of the other students the same way they all know each other. And I'm coming into a really competitive learning environment, a really competitive major. And so I would, it would be really normal to have some imposter syndrome in that scenario. Uh, and I'm struggling and now I'm really taking that on myself because I feel like, oh, maybe I shouldn't be an econ major, you know? And, and when really you might be a really fantastic economist, as I said, when, uh, in the future. So we want to be careful when we're noticing some of that imposter syndrome stuff. It's often the sign of a larger negative narrative that's going on. And it's worth talking to someone about because one of the things that many of us therapists do is that we take a look at that narratives, take a look at that self-talk, and we help you get perspective on it and then redirect it. And that's where we can be quite useful as your guides or witnesses to your process, your change, and help remind you where you want to go or present some of the unfortunate reality. I think it's really in those internal narratives that we all have going on in our brains. I think it's often helpful to have an outside perspective, especially when it comes to imposter syndrome, you get caught up in your own thoughts and your own feelings that you forget how everyone else can see it from the outside. And it's hard to talk to the people that you see in your day to day about how you feel like an imposter. That was Dr. Tori Honiger, the clinical director of UCSB's Counseling and Psychological Services. Within the first half of the show, Dr. Tori discussed services that CAPS offers, why it's rumored to be difficult to get an appointment with CAPS, and how to deal with imposter syndrome as a college student. And thank you for listening to Inside Isla Vista. I'm Jennifer Yoshikoshi with KCSB News. Today, we're speaking about mental health with UCSB's Counseling and Psychological Services. We have a couple more questions from UCSB students about mental health, and Dr. Tori has some answers and advice. So let's get back into my interview. Yeah, definitely. And so this kind of flows into the next question, but Logan Porter, who is also a third year, asks, if I'm concerned for a friend, what's the best way of going about it? Are there any special services that could direct us to helping those who may need it? Absolutely. This happens so much. And I really love that students ask this question. It means you care about each other. And there are ways on this campus to talk about this. One of them is calling my department and saying, hey, can I talk to a therapist about my friend who I'm worried about? The problem with only calling our department, though, is that we're highly confidential. And we can't tell anyone that about this conversation that we're having. You, this is a radio program, so you are, you're obviously going to share our conversation. But uh, normally, I can't talk to students and then tell other people about it. 
you, the student, own the, the privacy. You own the confidentiality. You get to control where I go with the information you shared with me. So when someone comes in talking about someone else, we treat it the same way. And But what's beneficial about telling our department is if they're a current patient, I can notify the therapist of these other concerns. And I can't confirm or deny to you who's telling me you're worried about your friend. I can't say whether they're being seen here or not but I can definitely put the note in there. So if they do walk in, the therapist that sees them knows that other people are worried about it. Because sometimes people come in and they're like, oh no, I'm doing okay. When really they're pretty suicidal. Every week here, we get concerns from friends. If you just type into Google UCSB distressed student or UCSB and anything related to student and distressed, the search engine will automatically pop up student mental health coordination services, and they'll direct you to the campus phone number 3030-805-893-3030. And they, they don't answer the phone live. You just leave a message and they'll call you back. You can leave the message about who you're worried about on there and their perm number or their full name, uh, date of birth helps make sure, especially if it's a common name, or you go on the online request form. So when you, when you Google UCSB distressed student, student mental health coordination services website comes up. There's the distressed student protocol that comes up and there's a uh, reporting button on the right-hand side. And it's a brief form that says, who are you worried about? And do you wanna be you know, anonymous or not? And it's helpful if we know who you are reporting and then tell the story. And there's a little space there where you can talk about what you're worried about. Someone will call you back during business hours ASAP. So if you call in the morning, you can expect a call back sometime during the day. If you call late afternoon, it might be the next morning when you get a call back. In either case, we have advocates. There's five of them right now. They're really great. And they, they look up the student you're worried about and they see if anyone else is worried about that student. And if anyone else is worried, especially if you're worried, you might be a little worried, that other person's a lot worried, that ups that agency's concern and they reach out to the student and in very rare occasions, sometimes there's a lot of concern about someone and they're not responding to the outreach. So we might call the parents, but that's only in extreme cases. Most of the time, your report as a concerned student would really just mean that some really nice advocate, their job is to reach out to students and invite them into services and make sure they get their needs met. So you might be noticing that your friend's really struggling, but they're just trying to get through and they, oh no, I can't go. My parents would be so shamed if I went and saw a therapist. That's only for crazy people, you know? So student mental health coordination services, calling 3030 or filling on the online request form is the best thing to do when you're worried about a friend. Well, it was crazy to hear about how often those calls for concerned friends that you guys get so frequently, like every day or every week, was it? Pretty much every day. And that office has helped so many hundreds of students um, every year, actually arguably well over a thousand students every year helps them get connected. Mm -hmm. And it's really those students that are suffering the most and they just can't get themselves to go. But it's worried friends and worried TAs and professors that notice. Yeah. Well, it's nice to hear that there are a lot of people within this community that want to help each other. Sometimes students don't want their parents to know that they're seeking therapy because it's often stigmatized. This goes into Sophie's question. She's a fourth year here. She said, why is there a stigma around seeking mental health 
and uh, mental health services? And is there anything specific you do to encourage those who are hesitant to utilize services? Absolutely. So, and the stigma, why is there a stigma? I think that with some, depending on where you come from, depending on what kind of access to services you had growing up. Perhaps maybe you come from a community where there's a big city and people who are crazy go to see therapists. The day-to-day anxiety, the day-to-day depression that most people experience at some point in time in their life. And you don't have to be crazy. In fact, most people who go to therapy are far from crazy, but they're really trying to improve their mental health and thrive in a difficult environment. And so I think anyone that wants to really take a look at themselves could really benefit given how many stressors there are out there. And so from my take on therapy is it's for everyone. So it's not crazy people that come in to see us. Generally speaking, there are plenty of people that don't fall in the crazy category. And I don't even really like that word crazy because it's very derogatory and doesn't even accurately describe that there's a massive imbalance of dopamines in their brain. But for most folks, therapy is just a really good thing. Stigma though is natural because uh, people often think of who goes to therapy, but crazy people. Within families, culturally, this can be culture bound. It's a, a stigma that's related to unfamiliarity. It's the unknown. And so they make assumptions about it. For those students that don't want their parents to know uh, that they're going to therapy, CAPS can be a really good resource because we don't charge insurance. It's paid for in your registration fees. There's no billing, nothing shows up. Average number of sessions that a student gets from CAPS is about four sessions. And I'll be totally transparent. Some some students that have very, let's say larger mental health needs and they don't have any resources as in they don't have very good insurance uh, that doesn't have very good mental health benefits, we might see them longer. Students that have great resources and can use them might get referred out to the community because it's it's really great for them to get ongoing therapy. Same time every week. I mean, that would be awesome. At the university, we're trying to serve as many students as possible. So we don't have that luxury. And students do get frustrated that we're not able to provide that level of service. But then we just ask that they use their university health insurance and it can be really great for them. So stigma, hard to get around, but on campus, if you're really feeling like there's stigma, sneak over here to CAPS and come be seen by us. No one will know. Well, with all of the positive things that you just talked about with therapy, hopefully that encourages a lot of people who might be feeling the way that you've described earlier to seek out help since they know how helpful therapy is and how confidential all the information is. But yeah, with May being Mental Health Awareness Month, It's also a month for students who are struggling with midterms and preparing for finals and for the seniors who are graduating soon. Another question that I have from Logan is, We all experience feeling burnt out from academics and even life in general. How can CAPS help with burnout and what are, if any, suggested actions someone can do at home? Really what we would want students to create for themselves is some sort of process of renewal. If you're burned out, there's chances are that there's some specific, if we look back, you know, 2020 hindsight, right? If we look back, there's probably some pretty good reasons why you're burned out. Overall pandemic stress and just a lot of different variables that you've been juggling. 
And to talk to someone about that can just be affirming. If you really reflect and maybe come up with some of why you're feeling burnt out or down, you can create some pathways forward and activate yourself. And if you don't slow down and reflect on that, you're not going to get there. But if you slow down and reflect on it, you can go, huh, okay, maybe I do need to socialize a little bit more, or maybe I need to socialize a little bit less. Something's creating the burnout. And so in a conversation with a mental health professional, you can explore what are the causes and what is something physical that you can do, because what you really want to do is activate that revitalization. Yeah, well, I'm sure that was some helpful tips that a lot of students can take with everything being so busy around this time. And I think with the quarter system, everything's constantly moving. This must be like a struggle that a lot of students here feel. Oh, and with that constant movement, it's hard to take a break. It really is. Every time you slow down, you feel like you're losing ground. But I would submit to everybody that listens to this program that they can probably slow down and um, do what us uh, therapists call uh, diaphragmatic breathing. And it's really just deep breathing, but diaphragmatic makes it sound cooler and more complicated. So diaphragmatic breathing is easy for anyone out there in radio land to do. All you have to do is find a comfortable place to sit, or you can do it standing, or you can do it laying down. The easiest is if you're sitting with your spine straight. Diaphragmatic breathing can really help you regain focus or if you're having a hard time falling asleep, it can help you clear your mind and fall asleep so that you get a good night's rest. The way it works is by slowing down your breathing and filling your lungs with more oxygen, you're gonna oxygenate your blood more and more of that oxygenated blood is gonna to get to your neocortex, your forebrain, which is capable of abstract thinking and decision-making and lots of different things. And you're going to get out of your emotional center of your brain, but you need all that oxygen in your blood that's going to the forebrain to really think clearly and get away from that sense of anxiety and dread. So you want to really get right up here, up in front of your, in your forebrain. And to do that, closing your eyes, all you simply do is put one hand on your chest, one hand on your belly. The hand on your chest does not move. And the hand on your belly goes in and out and you try and breathe in as deep as possible, inflating your belly as much as possible. And that fills your lungs all the way to the bottom of your lungs. And you do that very slowly and you exhale very slowly. Hand on top of your chest, doesn't move. Hand on your belly goes in and out very slowly. And then your diaphragmatic breathing. Instead of using your chest muscles and everything else to breathe. And it tends to be a very relaxing thing. If you can focus on that and do that twice a day for a minute, you will be so much calmer for the rest of the day. So I recommend for anxious folks to start their day with some diaphragmatic breathing, helps them line up what they really need to do and prioritize. And at the end of the day, diaphragmatic breathing for a minute or two helps them fall asleep. So that's something that I teach to almost everyone I meet in therapy because it's just so useful. And I wanted to share that with the group today. Yeah, and I hope a lot of our listeners right now just took that advice and will try to incorporate it into their day as well. But yeah, that about wraps up uh, the questions I have. Thank you so much. I hope this conversation is helpful for a lot of our listeners pertaining to mental health. Thanks, Jennifer. Thank you again to Dr. Tori Honiger for joining me in an interview and providing some mental health advice for our listeners. If you would like to learn more about CAPS, you can visit caps.sa.ucsb.edu 
And again, that's caps.sa.ucsb.edu. And that wraps up today's show. You've been listening to Inside Isla Vista. Thanks for tuning in Wednesdays at 5 p.m. to find out what's happening in and around Isla Vista. I'm Jennifer Yoshikoshi. Our theme music is Siesta by Jawser. This is 91.9 FM KCSB.